Hey, I'm Teresa. And I'm Rutland. And this is your planning time. time. Rutland, that is the best intro to our show that was played on the guitar by Rutland. <laughs> um, so let's see. Last week was the first part of this two-part series about getting students to plug in. This week, we're going to focus more deeply on building student agency. So feel free to listen to part one. We kind of talked more bigger picture of what we as teachers can do to encourage kids um, to plug in. But before we get into the meat of this episode, I have to tell you about an amazing experience that is our special bonus Valentine's episode coming this Friday called For the Love of Teaching. Isn't it going to be awesome, Rutland? I'm so excited. Um, We've heard so many great stories from other teachers um, and been able to share in the experience that is teaching and all the things that you only understand if you're in the classroom every day and so I'm so excited for everyone to hear that and for us to get to share that with the world. Yes, so it's been really cool. The stories are gonna go all over the board. So some are thoughtful, poignant, some are downright hilarious. (laughs) But just like Rutland said, they all stem from people who love what they do and through the stories you're able to see the true nature of teaching and teachers. Um, especially how we take our experiences, learn, grow, love, think, feel, and above all, make them into teachable moments. So today's episode, helping student students plug in and build agency. Um, Rutland, this is your second year teaching, yes. right? Okay. Can you already think of a student or two who seemed ambivalent in your room. Maybe they may have been a behavior problem, but maybe not. At the very least, they lacked motivation, weren't into what you were doing, and maybe felt like you felt maybe like you were dragging a dead weight at the bottom Mm. of the ocean? Yes. Yes, the the short answer, yes. I think that, like any teacher, uh, it's easy to focus in on the immediate behavior problem in the beginning of the year. So you find the ones that you, maybe they're not engaged in the academic content or they're not engaged in the lessons. They're just there for a good time, which I respect. Love having a good time. So we go after those kids. And I think in my experience, I've found that even if those kids that are disruptive, I have found that they are engaged in the lessons that I'm doing even if they are not following, not meeting all the expectations for behavior in the room, they're engaged in the lesson. What scares me as a teacher, what keeps me up at night is the ones that are sitting silently, not engaged. They're doing all the things that are showing that they're with the lesson. They're showing all the marks of a student that's engaged, but really when it comes time for independent practice or when we've released the responsibility all the way to the student and now um, it's time for them them to practice what we've been working on that day in math or in a reading workshop. They're not trying the strategies that, we're, that we've been working on. And as it becomes a pattern, uh, as they get used to that being their default, maybe they try once and give up. But if they're not loud, sometimes I don't notice them. And that scares me. And I'm trying to work on that and I am working on that. But I can think of a lot of issues last year, a lot of times last year, where I didn't go and get those kids that were 
meeting all the behavior expectations, but not challenging themselves and taking on the challenge academically. I agree. Um, and I think apathy is something that scares me the most. I have to go off on a little personal story um, to kind of help, I think, add to the why at least it's so important to me. When I have a very different elementary school kind of um, journey. So I went to Montessori school when I was really young. I don't really remember it at all. But I was homeschooled after that through sixth grade. Um, And the way that my homeschool was done, I was in control. I directed what I studied, really. We went to the library all the time. I mean, I can remember loving to read about biographies for a long time. Then I became obsessed with red-tailed boa constrictors. Um, I remember really getting into this whole zone of wanting to know the history of numbers and studying ancient Egypt. And I was never tested. I mean, as far as math goes, I loved it. I saw it as problem solving and I learned how to read an example. And then it was kind of like trying to crack the code and try to figure it out. So I always have been driven that way. Um, But what I kind of have noticed, and what I noticed even when I started sixth grade in public education is that as a student, you feel like school is done to you. Mm. You don't feel like you're in charge. Now, I can remember one of the weirdest things when I was sitting in my sixth grade class. I stood up to go to the bathroom and they're like, what What are you doing? Mm. Oh, I just need to go to the bathroom. Oh, you just need to ask. I was like, I'm 12. Like, I need to ask you. And I get it as a teacher now why we do those things. I'm not trying to say that it's... I think there's a way to balance it, I guess. Um, But I do think it doesn't surprise me that there are so many kids that lack agency because they don't get much choice. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, when we really kind of look to the what is possible in the future... There's some amazing things going on around the country and really looking to um, what's going on in Finland that has really got me excited on what is possible. So can I ask you a question about like, your homeschool experience? Right, yeah. So because your identity and what you know about yourself as being homeschooled is that you were taking on ownership and you were doing it. I'm wondering about like my kids that I'm teaching now, in your day-to-day shuffle of homeschool, like in your day-to-day routines, do you remember anyone having to prompt you to like get started? Or do you remember like that was just part of what you did? Like it was just your normal, you got up and you did it without prompting? That was fun to me. Yeah. To me, writing a story was really fun. And now I know that I was not this amazing reader right off the bat. Reading was a struggle, and so I would not choose to read much. So I know that that, that was oh, – but the way that I got out of it was um, Morris and Boris, and it was on the computer. It was basically like an audio book, yeah. you know, to us now, um, just an early, early version with super old computers. <laughs> and I remember that was one of the things. I don't remember not being good at, at reading. That was yeah. never part of my identity. I never knew that. I wasn't comparing myself right. to other readers around me. Right. So I wonder what the opposite effect is and what's happening in our classroom where comparison is part of what we're doing and there are assessments and we are putting 
quantitative values on the performance of these kids in their eighth year of life on earth. Uh, that's a whole other episode. It is. But it makes me think about you know, what is what I'm seeing these kids do in the agency that I'm inferring they have or don't have. Is that going to be their truth whenever they're an adult? You know, are they going to look back and say, oh, I did take ownership of my learning? Or are they going to say, yes, yeah, school was done to me? My hope is after this episode, we will feel more armed to be the spark when they come into our room. I know getting ready for this podcast, just combing through different articles, I am excited because I want to be that spark for them. We're not going to upend our entire American education system in an hour, but I think we'll leave today with a better idea of what matters and how to help build um, agency. I think the first step is to kind of define agency because like so many terms, it can be used in a lot of different ways. Um, I found the best um, thing to help me, it was an article that talked about boiling it down into four basic things. Um, And so it was, agency is setting advantageous goals, Mm. your own, Mm -hmm. right? Initiating action towards those goals, reflecting on and regulating progress towards those goals, and then Underlying all that is a belief in self-efficacy. And I wanted to make sure I knew what that meant. So self-efficacy, like confidence, right? Believing that you can act and it actually will turn out well. Yeah. You know, that the fact that I am going to do this and it will actually then improve my situation and what's going on. So those four distinct components um, that kind of define agency come from um, education reimagined. I want to make sure and give them credit. Um, So what do you think? Well, I think immediately I'm seeing this is valid in my own life. And I think about myself as an athlete in high school. as when I was playing basketball, I started playing at a very young age, and I knew that I had more experience going into scholastic basketball and high school basketball. I knew that I had more experience than everyone else, so I know that the agency that I had was there. I, I definitely had a sense of agency about myself as an athlete. So I remember setting goals with my coach about my free throw shooting. And so shooting free throws, we, the, at the beginning of the season, we had a meeting and we said, this year you're going to shoot whatever percentage that we want you to make at the free throw line. Um, and so the next step, not because he read this same article by Education Reimagine, but because logically the next step was, what are we going to do to reach this goal? And that was, you're going to stay after practice and you're going to shoot X amount of free throws after practice every day. And we're going to watch throughout the season, game by game, and see what's happening so we were regulating and we were reflecting on my progress. Um, and then lastly, it just came down to myself. Did I believe that I could make that happen? Did I believe that I could become a better free throw shooter? So I think the the four steps that we're talking about with agency are 
they're like all the other and deep insightful things in education and anything that we know is the the answer is of course of course that's what agency is and in putting it down in words and, and in a format really helps it click and make sense and so then taking it from i'm going to set your goal which is what we often do mm. trying to have them not trying to having them set their goals and initiate action and we are guiding them we're helping them right. know what types of goals do we want to set what what do you want to be what do you want to become mm. who do you want to be um in this world and so it moves so i was like okay how i mean i see how i can help them sort of set goals but I wanted more, and I was looking at uh, an article that was referenced um, in Education Reimagined, and it's called The Influence of Teaching Beyond Standardized Test Scores, Engagement, Mindsets, and Agency. It was conducted by the Achievement Gap Initiative at Harvard University, and I thought, well, Harvard University, all right, let's see what you got. Right. Um, so what they did was study 16,006th through ninth grade classrooms. So these are older than we're teaching. We're in elementary. Um, but the implications, I feel like, are the same. Yeah. And it's what are the influences of teaching on emotions, motivations, mindsets, and behaviors that we associate with agency? So they kind of, they do boil it down to what they call the seven C's. And the seven C's are care, confer, captivate, clarify, consolidate, challenge, and classroom management. Now, these are very important. And I think we could unpack and talk about these a lot. And I think as we continue our discussion, if we want to sort of reference these. But before we get too deep in those pieces, those pieces, super important. But as I kept going... There was a section called Success Skills and Success Mindsets. And being that I wanted to take agency, I was like, well, what are my goals, right? And I love this. So the goals are development of conscientiousness. So paying attention to quality, using time and being organized. Growth mindset, believing you can get smarter. And sense of purpose helping them to gain a sense of why and what they want to do in the world. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about those three specific goals and mindsets are that those three things that we want to teach for and teach to and teach through cannot be mutually exclusive. They, we, they have to work with one another. So I'm thinking about growth mindset and, and Carol Dweck's book, Mindset and after reading that, I remember uh, my my perception of a growth mindset completely shifting from with growth mindset in elementary schools. We hear uh, we watch the Sesame Street video, The Power of Yet, which I love. No shade towards Sesame Street at all, but I love that we do those things, and I love that we make it fun. But a lot of times, growth mindset in elementary school ends up being a worksheet, ends up being a video, ends up being a conversation about mistakes ends up being a, a fun chant that we do to celebrate a mistake. And those are great and they really help. But what I'm learning more and more and what I remember 
really holding on to after reading Mindset by Carol Dweck was that a growth mindset it cannot just be something that you're just, well, you will try it out to begin with, but it's not just a strategy. It's not something you use in a moment. To say that you have a growth mindset, it means that you are adopting a belief that in a growth mindset. It means that you are adopt, you're shifting your perception of life and not just in this moment, if I make a mistake, I should celebrate it. But it's truly a shift in the person when you have a growth mindset. So you shift the way you think and it changes your life because now you do have a purpose or you find your purpose. It's really hard to find purpose if your vision of your life is based on the performance and the result. You can't find purpose if all you're thinking about is the result. But when you focus more on the process, I think it's a lot easier to find purpose and you find it in the process. And exactly right. It has to change who you are and what you do day to day. Mm. And so I was trying to think of the practical applications to reach these three big targets and sort of touch on the, the seven C's of caring and conferring, which is really meaning valuing students, speaking and sharing their thoughts, captivating, um, really grabbing their attention, clarifying things, consolidating, which is like really reviewing and chunking the things that you do, challenging in classroom management. Um, and I thought... Number one thing that I have got to do, I have got to, and I think we all have to get rid of the notion that we have so much to do that we don't have time to hear their strategies. We have so much to do. We don't have time to help them solve problems. We have so much to do. We can't let them produce quality work. I mean, these are all things I've been so guilty of because mm -hmm. it's like, well, I need something that has a grade on it. So I've got to do this worksheet so that I can put this grade in. We've got, I am speaking for myself. I have got to stop that sense of rushing because if I'm rushing, I'm not showing them to pay attention to quality. Mm. I'm not showing them how to use their time wisely or be organized because we're running from one thing to the next. We haven't made sure our things are put where they need to be. Um, you know, so the conscientiousness is mm. really echoes what we said the first part on being present, right? but living that. And so I thought to myself, okay, we have grades. This is just a reality we work in right now. Um, so I'm challenging myself to take more grades on things that we have revised over time. If we slow down, and let's say we're working on a multi-step math problem that we do, you know, and I, I send it out and I give it to them, give a try, do some teaching, go back to it, change your work, write it in a different color now that we know this. Maybe then we go into some small groups and check in and then have them finish it. Not only are they seeing their progress built over time, they're seeing that quality and taking your time on something matters. Um, and I can feel good about a grade like that. Mm -hmm. I had to just catch myself as you were explaining what that might look like in math with revisiting work that we've done. I had to catch myself because my first thought was, how am I going to stretch a word problem out over multiple days and keep coming back to it? So... The answer to that, which what I had to check on myself, is it starts with having a really 
rigorous tasks to do. So then my next thought was, well, I don't have time to find that. I don't have time for that. But I think I would if I slowed down, if I focused on the process. And if, if I couldn't find, if I spent too much time looking for resources, then create the problem. And if it's you know the math problem, if it's a really tough problem that presents a challenge and we can use it over multiple days, then it's worth spending 10 minutes to write something myself that I created. Now I have ownership in then I'm going to be letting the kids have ownership in it and we're creating it together. And I have now spent time getting an authentic grade instead of spending time, you know, just looking for resources, scouring for resources. Well, and think of how we can grade that differently too, right? So we, we talk about the mathematical practices. Um, I can explain my thinking and try to understand others. I can show my work in many ways. You know, all these different aspects that mathematicians use, but I want you to explain it. We'll have time to hear three at the end of the day, guys, and then, you know, or at the end of math. But instead, you know, that first day, somebody may get it right already, but that's not the end. Like, what if the grade comes from much more of a rubric of, you know, could you show that in multiple ways? And so your mini lesson could be showing different um, strategies. And so you're revisiting this problem and showing it in a different way. Then our focus becomes on the work and the strategies, not did you get it right? Yeah. That makes me think all of what we're saying brings me back to what I remember a professor that I had in college at the University of South Carolina, um, Beth White who this won't be the last time I say this and this won't be the last time I say anything that she has said because she was such an important influence on who I am. So everything she said, I think I took a mental note of and just kind of kept it to hold on to for moments like this. And I remember her saying that when your actions don't match your beliefs, you need to stop and change something. And for me right now, that's what that is, that my belief in what we're talking about is so strong. I want to do it. But if I'm asking myself, do my actions match that? Absolutely not because... I am showing, if I'm showing kids what matters, I'm showing them that their answers matter. And I'm showing them that the product is what matters. That's not what matters, and that's not what I believe matters. And so I, I need to make that shift. Not, that I, not just that I want to, I need to make that shift to what you're talking about and revisiting work and stretching things out over multiple days and getting grades that reflect you know, the mathematical practices. Well, those are the things that kids are gonna be doing in the real world. Those are the skills that they need to have. And think how powerful as a kid. I mean, I'm just trying to put myself in that perspective. And and yes, ultimately, they do need to be successful with their strategies over these days. And really, after the first conversation, most likely somebody is probably going to have it correct. Yeah. So, okay, great. We got that out of the way. We know what the outcome's supposed to be. Now, how else right. can we get there? You right. know. But how powerful for a kid to sit down and look at their work over time and see what they did. Like to me, that totally pours into the next part of the growth mindset. Like they are watching themselves get smarter. Like look yeah. where you started. You, yeah, you solved it in one little way or maybe you couldn't solve it yet and now you can and now you can solve it three different ways. And now you can listen to somebody tell you how they solve it and clarify and explain back. I mean. That, to me, those kinds of things build into that growth mindset, which made me think of 
um, John Hattie's self-reported grades that has the effect size of like 1.44. And I had to do a little digging for this because I know it was a little confusing. Self so self-reported grades um, is one of the top influences, but there was some confusion about it. In fact, um, Hattie even has explained before that if he could, he would rename this learning strategy student expectations. Mm. Because what it actually truly is, is having a student report what they think they're going to make or how they think they're going to do and then us as teachers pushing them to exceed their own expectations. Which I'll be honest, the first time I looked at a chart from John Hattie, I didn't know what that meant. But knowing that now, the power of that strategy is building your growth mindset. I mean, as soon as you exceed those expectations of what you can do, you have power. You know you can learn. Right. I think that there's, like, the word that you just said, just power, is an empowering experience to be able to look back at in a, a visual representation, seeing your work of how you grew. And seeing evidence, that's the word I was looking for, seeing evidence of your growth and knowing I did that. If I did it once, I can do it again. I think that's so empowering for a kid, especially a kid who might not have ever had an experience like that up to this point. And I think a lot of it is that self-efficacy. Some, some of the things that we can do, and I've talked to so many teachers about this, and I am guilty of doing this, but at, of sometimes lowering the bar for them and not having high expectations. And um, I'm guilty as a parent of doing it too sometimes. I think, you know, if I fold the kids' laundry because I like it better when it's actually neat and done well, it's a small example, but I'm stealing that from them. Yeah. You know, that independence that they need. They need to know that they can act in this world and um, and do things. And I don't mean to not be involved in your child's education at all, but I think it's really important for me to check myself as a parent and I can't remove all their obstacles mm. because if I remove them, they will never have that experience of overcoming and looking on the other side and being like, I did that. Yeah, You know, so it, it made me kind of flip to that and I think the last part to that, that last goal with that sense of purpose is something that um, I was talking to Rutland about earlier this week. And this is something that's pushing me a lot right now. Um, I want them to see a sense of purpose and I want them to be able to take positive action and to help see themselves as change agents um to go behind to go beyond like the kindness weeks that that we have um and so we've kind of started with just this basic like questionnaire and I just I guess my goal here at this moment at where I am and and um of course I want to grow so much more but it's I just want to center a lot of what we do whether we're reading a story um, having a conversation about things going on in the world, 
or even just working collaboratively is go back to the questions of, you know, what is important to you? What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to have a good life? Um, and what power do you have? I feel like if I can incorporate those, like we read The Lion and the Mouse, and I just asked after we did some other things with it, and then I said, was the lion a good person? You know, which was kind of funny because he's an animal, so we kind of went back and forth. Well, good person, animal? Mm, right. But anyway, the conversation was amazing because if you just hinge it on the story, no. You know, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't awful. You could tell he got embarrassed. And the cool thing was the kids went to, um, but I think he might change because he just learned that lesson. And so automatically I thought in this ELA lesson where we're learning to look back and cite our evidence on why we think what we think, we're really hitting that deeper sense of purpose and they can't help but kind of compare it to them. And that's come up in just recess drama and things that have happened is we're starting to ask ourselves, like, are you the lion or are you the mouse right now? Mm -hmm. And like, who do you want to be? Right. So can you speak a little bit to this whole idea of sense of purpose? This one is one that is really I'm excited about and I want to do better. I think I think the reason that I love working with kids so much and the reason that I think a lot of us love working with kids so much is that kids, children, especially young children, the ones that we work with every day, they have this ability to believe that everyone can change and everyone can do better. And then we grow up and we become um, this tainted, right? Where Maybe we, a little hardened. Yeah, hardened. Yeah. And we become skeptical of, mm. you know, we hear things like once a cheater, always a cheater. Mm. And I, I've said those things myself and, and thought that people couldn't change because of the decision that they've made over and over and over. But kids don't see that. Kids see everything is changing all the time because it's changing all around them. Um, and so I think what we have, especially in the elementary classroom, is a window of opportunity to really step in and make a huge difference in the, for the rest of their life because right now they do believe and they're almost primed for agency. Like they're, they're so ready to take on the challenge of discovering their purpose and they're so ready to take on the challenge of making themselves better every day. I can't imagine doing the work that we do with kids when we're in the hallway having conversations or at recess having conversations or solving social conflicts. I, I can't, the people that do that with adults, and there are people that do that with adults, the people that do that with adults, I can't imagine how much more difficult that must be because I feel like with kids it's so easy because they are, take, they are meeting that with everything they have every day that they're going to make a better choice. Mm -hmm. They always do, every single time. And it's, they just, they're so ready are so ready and we have a great opportunity to do that. So I want to just tell you how awesome you are for a moment because I think that what you spoke to speaks a lot to what they were calling the seven C's but this whole idea of caring and conferring and um, you really as an educator in general an educator can really set the stage for trust or mistrust and it is so clear, Rutland, you set the stage for trust because mm -hmm. you stop and you help them solve those social problems. And that's another thing that I think 
we can't let go of. We can't rush through and say, I don't have time for that. Y'all need to figure it out. Um, I mean, as a mom, I'm a lot worse with that sometimes. <laughs> um, and there are days and there are sometimes, and I think back and usually I try to call the kids over to fix it, but there are times that that happens, but if we need to really dig down and do our best to help support them, and you do a fabulous job of that, and what you're doing when you do that is one of these very optimal pieces in creating agency in your room. So celebrate the fact that that's something huge that you already do. Yeah, that makes me feel uh, much better today because, you know, at times it feels like you're spending all day doing that. Like sometimes I, I get home and I'm thinking, you know, we didn't really do anything except for solve all of our problems today. And it feels like you're not doing important work, but it's so important, I think, for us to have conversations like this and understand that that is just as important. So I think we have some practical ideas of what we can do. Um, I'm excited to continue on this journey with purpose and agency. This is something that I will definitely carry out through my career and be striving for. Um, I want to leave us with an interesting thought of kind of what could be. I was reading an article um, and it was from the Stanford Social Innovation Review titled, What U.S. Schools Can Learn from Finland's Approach to Education. And it really highlights four strategies for creating a positive school culture. Um, one that focuses on the whole student and fosters long-term holistic well-being. Okay, so it kind of sounds a lot like our first episode in this mm. whole podcast series, right? Like that's what we wanted. Um, and before I dig into those four, or before we kind of gloss over, I should say, those four um, one of the cool things was, I guess, according to Finnish education expert Passi Salberg, many of the effective practices that Fidlin has put into practice stem from American research and thought leadership. Okay, mm. so they're learning from research we've done here. Um, and putting that into practice, they have 90% job satisfaction for teachers. Their kids top the charts on the um, PISA assessment over and over again. They're really consistent. We could build an entire episode on this article, and maybe we will. Yeah. Like, what would our perfect school be, you yeah. know? Um, and I would probably base a good bit on this. They have things like 15 minutes of recess for every 45 minutes of instruction. Um, they have shorter school days in general. Um, teachers have more time to prepare lessons and collaborate. So all those things sound fabulous, right? Um, it just made me, left me with what could be. And here's why. In the agency section of this, agency was one of the top four things. And that's kind of why I dug into it. Their students, their education is centered completely around students. Okay? We know student, students need more exercise. They put those policies in place for what we know completely about students. They know kids need agency. They give them agency to the point that kids preside over their parent-teacher conferences. Mm. Um, it even said that the student is more in charge rather than even parents, teachers, or politicians. So it does not sound like school is being done to them. And... They have um, students that serve as board members. 
So it is pretty amazing. Now, I'm sure it's probably older kids. I didn't dig into completely how, of course, I'm going to because it fascinates me, but I have not dug into all of that yet. But it just made me think, what is possible? And even from my classroom standpoint, what can I do to help put kids in a more decision-making role Mm -hmm. just in my room? And I've played with doing, I've done government simulations before and things to that effect. But if we really thought through helping them make instructional decisions, of course, within the constraints possible to us, what could that look like? So that that's just a what is possible for us to simmer on, for everyone to simmer on, I think. Isn't that amazing? I love the smell of democracy in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think that's, that's a great, a great launching point for another episode. Y'all, thank you so much for joining us. Look out for the new episode on Friday for the love of teaching. It is going to be phenomenal. Um, We appreciate you listening and visit our Instagram. Um, That will be up and running by the end of this week. Thank y'all so much. Oh, and it's the, what is the name of the Instagram? It's at planning time podcast. No spaces, no underscores, none of that crazy stuff. Just at planning time podcast. Awesome. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank y'all.